My name is Tom Imholt, and this is my new podcast, Conversations for a Better Life. The intention and commitment of this podcast is to delve headfirst into those topics and experiences that need to be faced so that we can progress and transform as individuals, hopefully so that we can help others along the same path. My first guest is Miles Woodfield, a friend from college that recently posted a video in response to the death of Anthony Bourdain. I was personally moved by his perspective and contacted him that night to discuss depression and suicide. We decided the conversation was worth having again for the benefit of others. Miles has his own podcast, Better With You, which can be found on iTunes. Do your own introduction, or I'd be happy to give my very basic introduction to how we know each other and how this conversation came about, but I'll I'll give you the floor if you'd rather do that. Yeah, let me, let me give it a, a stab. Um, I... So my name is Miles Woodfield. I live in a uh, small city in eastern Ohio, and um, I'm currently working as a autism therapist um, in the area. I have two children. Um, one is five and one is two, and I um, also have a mental illness diagnosis. <laughs> we... On my, uh, on my, so I, I also host a, a podcast with my friend Tony, mm-hmm. and uh, we, um, we talk about friendship on our podcast. We talk about kind of like how friends help us change us, and uh, we found out that a person who I really admire committed suicide a couple of days ago, and uh, yeah. I posted a video on our page because, you know, when when your heroes. Um, uh, kill themselves you sort of feel terrible and you know considering my diagnosis it sort of hit home right. and uh you know you get to thinking about your own experiences and kind of the end of the line for yourself you know if, if if the people who i really admire can't do it then what about me and um you know so i put something up and uh tom you read it or saw it and then uh you contacted me uh last night and we're talking now yeah and i it's it's interesting because um you know, obviously, uh, to the general public, um, this is the second celebrity suicide in a week. So the news cycle is kind of full of um, a- additional conversation, as it were, about um, the, the, the issue of suicide in general, the quote-unquote suicide epidemic, um, especially in America and in Western countries. Um, and just, uh, in general, a lot of a lot of conversation, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of... Um, news obsession tends to happen around these kind of things, but hopefully leading to some productive conversations. And um, of all the uh, responses that I've seen, and I've seen quite a few of them, I was really touched particularly by yours for a couple of reasons. One, you obviously, as you said, um, Tony Bourdain or Anthony Bourdain was a personal hero of yours. And so it was something that impacted you very personally, but also because it's something that um, has implications for your own life. Um, the idea of, of living with mental illness, specifically um, uh, with types of depression and how that might lead into um, thoughts of suicide. And so, uh, and your your video, and that's kind of what I would like our conversation to be about is um, talking a little bit about some of the, um, I thought more interesting notes of your video. Um, your video, really I felt like more than anything else was a call um, to people that were in this experience because that's another thing that we see um, when 
celebrities die and when the, the media kind of focuses on it, that actually um, can mean more people committing suicide. It can mean uh, more people um, feeling like, oh, maybe, you know, even this person that had it all, you know, um, wanted to kill themselves and went through it. So why wouldn't I? And I'm sure there's a lot of th more things that go into that. But um, your, your video very much seemed to be a call to people in that moment um, that were that we're struggling with these things and considering this and just trying to explain um, one that it doesn't have you don't have to do this uh, Two that uh, one of the things that I really latched on to was um, it never goes away but it gets better which I think is an important um, distinction and then you also talk about the impact that um, suicide has on those people that are close by you so um, yeah I don't know if you have any on any general thoughts about yeah, uh, the video in general about uh, it, for you was it just that you had things you wanted to share, or did you have a certain like purpose and mission going into creating the video? Uh, you know, I I um I actually kind of broke party line by doing it. Um, uh, so as, as uh, so I'm I'm trained as a teacher, and I've worked as a teacher for seven years, and um, we're always told when a student uh, commits suicide in your school, then you. Uh, you can't do anything. So I worked at a school a couple of years ago when one of the old students actually uh, uh, committed suicide. Uh, and she, she wasn't at the school at the time, uh, but she was uh, the year before. So she knew a lot of people that were there. And um, they, the, the guidance counselors and me and the principal, we all had a meeting. And because uh, I'm kind of the abnormal psychology guy in the building. And, um, you know, so for some reason. Um, and uh, they're like, what do we do? And, um, you know, the, the, the principal was like, oh, we should put up a memorial. And, you know, the, the chaplain was like, oh, we should have a prayer service and a, and a, uh, a, uh, like a, you know, a mass or whatever for her, or like a, an assembly and talk about her and share memories and yada, 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 put up a big poster. We could, you know, sign it in our names and stuff. And, and I was like, yeah, no, 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 no. We can't do anything. We have to ignore it. We have to not give any credence to it at all. And they were sort of like, "Why? Why would? Why would we not um, call out and you know show our compassion?" And I said, "Because attention is exactly what people want when they do this sort of thing. And if we give overflowing attention to a person who just did that, then what? What is? What message does that send to the people who are in the school who are thinking about it right now?" It says that if you do this, you will get everything that you want. Do you, so, you know, I, I really uh, would love to, to – to, and we didn't talk about this last night, so I'm glad we're sure. having a second conversation about this. Um, is, is that uh, – and maybe um, a absolute statement is impossible with these kind of multifaceted situations, but do you think, especially maybe for the demographic that you're dealing with in – in schools that that is a significant part of the the drive the a drive for attention as opposed to um yeah i i be interested to see that <laughs> yeah uh, so what what can you discuss that a little bit more as a because i honestly don't um i've never really thought about um suicide as an attention seeking thing that seems so darkly morbid to me that you like how can you receive attention if you're dead um sure so yeah i'd be interested to see uh for you to unpack that a little bit more yeah i don't i don't necessarily think it's like an attention-seeking behavior but i think that it does reinforce the feelings for the people who are still alive so my argument to the people you know that those feelings of people are going to like me now you know when i'm gone 
um, to the people who are um, still alive. So my argument to that staff was the girl made her choice. She's gone. Our obligation is to the students who are still alive. And, and you know, they don't like hearing that, but I was right. And, um, you know, th- there is a there is an idolization of people who do things like that. And, um, you know, like, so, so when I put up the video, you know, there wasn't a lot of touchy, uh, hopefulness in it. I mean, I I think it was a pretty realist approach to it. I mean, I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but I, I, I really, I really tried to be realist about it. And I wasn't saying like, you know, you know, um, you know, here's the suicide hotline number, you know, we all love you, it'll be okay, you know, we'll right. get you figured out. Like, no, that's not real. That's not how it works. Um, something we talked a, a bit about last night um, that I think touches on this idea of realism, and I mentioned it already, is this idea of it, n- it never goes away, but it gets better. I mean, that's a, the idea of it never going away, um, I think is, as you would say, a very realistic and yet um, maybe not as the same kind of cheap hopefulness that is um, being currently spouted as a counter to some of this stuff. Uh, and I think specifically, um, this, if you're dealing with mental illness, the idea is that it never, it, you know, it doesn't seem to ever go away, that it's not been observed with um, people that have mental illnesses. There's ways of coping. There are ways of, um, of living, you know, relatively healthy lifestyles, but it's not something you're going to be magically cured of. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think that – I definitely feel like you, you put forward a, a personal and realistic um, narrative and experience of, of what this might look like of how you can combat these things. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so, so, like, like um, even for me now, for now, like, in, in my – so I, I, have, I, have, uh, I have bipolar disorder, and um, I've been hospitalized twice for it. Um, you know, I got diagnosed when I was 20 – Three, which is right about the age that most people get diagnosed. Uh, so I've been on psych meds for it for uh, almost, I mean, for it, I've been on psych meds for about 10 years. And then 10 years, close to that, yeah. Yeah, more than that, no, more than that, yeah. And then, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to do, I'm not good at math. Um, no, but fine. then when I was younger, when I was younger, they thought that I had uh, uh, ADHD and depression, you know. So they're throwing depression meds at me and ADHD meds at me, but it's actually like you know mania and hypomania. Uh, so they're you know they were trying to treat me with the wrong meds, and even before that, I saw a counselor because I knew something was up when I was a kid. So I mean, I've been in treatment for this since I was like really ten years old, and um, you know it, it is a to this day I'm still not perfect. <laughs> you know, I mean like it, it's really been it's been twenty years of hardcore treatment, and um, I still have to I still have to play a part for eight hours of the day. Uh, when I'm at work, you know, and, and, and even when I come home, um, I have to play a part to a degree. Um, but you know, it, it, like I said, it gets better. Like, like if I put a guitar in your hands every day, like if I put a guitar in your hands every day and I just leave you with it for eight hours a day, it is physically impossible to not get better at something. If you work at it all day, every day, you know, like, like you would have to completely avoid it in order to not get better at it. And, and, and for me, like the putting in the legwork, like hard work is something that I really believe in a lot, um, whether it be as a dad or as a, as a, as a husband. Um, I don't believe in soulmates, I believe in hard work. I don't believe in the magical cure of my mental illness. I believe in hard work. I don't believe in anything but hard work. And you know, there are days when you can barely drag your ass out of bed and, and you can't move. And then those are the days that I lean on my family in my support system because they 
help me bridge the gap when I can't do it myself. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, that, and that's I think that's that's an excellent testimony of how of how um, you know how you deal with, it, with the things that you have to deal with. And I would like to go back to because um, as we mentioned, we had a conversation about this for about a half an hour last night. Um, so we're reiterating some of those things that we discussed before. Um, so uh, to, to finish out this idea of it never goes away, but it gets better. Um, one of the things that I was countering with, and um, maybe you can offer a similar counter to what you said last night, is that maybe for some people there isn't a sense of better. Um, there is crisis versus non-crisis, and it it's particularly difficult to appreciate because we that's what you have to do, right? You have to appreciate um, the little things that or little moments when things are are not as terrible. Um, but it's, it's especially hard to do that when your non-crisis mode is still not optimal or not even optimal, but like still very, very difficult. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's something that you can, can relate with the same way, but, um, you know, that some people's better might just be, um, non-crisis and maybe you're I think when you're saying better I think you mean more in a sense that as you progress over time you become more capable more competent in um, in addressing these situations not necessarily that uh, you know that if you're just in these moments that there is um, you know that some days are good and some days are bad like if you're not addressing your mental illness it might be bad all the time or it might be varying levels of bad and that that's a call for you to actually do something about your condition so i didn't know if you wanted to address that at all yeah so let, let me give you an example i was talking to my counselor a couple of months ago and i was telling him um that things were getting better and he's like oh good what does that mean uh you know because he's a good counselor he asks questions and um he uh he said or i told him uh you know when i started it was just sort of like how do I avoid crisis? How do I not get into panic modes? How do I not get into crazy depressed modes? How do I not get angry or frustrated with my kids? How do I how do I circumvent just so I can function and and not fail at, a, at being a dad? I mean, the whole reason and those I are all see my counselor. Those are all negative statements, right? Those are all are how how right. can I not be? Which is right. a very difficult way to live your life to, you know, focusing on not being something. So anyways, go ahead. Which is how most people get into counseling or mental health treatment to begin with. It's like a toothache, you know, all of a sudden it hurts a little bit one day and it hurts the next day. And it gets to the point a month later that you are on the floor because it hurts so much, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how, I mean, I got into it like really hardcore treatment is the same sort of thing. And I mean, my marriage was just not doing well and my kids were not, he's like afraid of me, you know, like, like that is crisis mode. So, so I, I'm, I'm, so I'm in, I mean, and that, that goes with the, you know, treatment from 10 years as well. Um, so I, I'm telling him, you know, like, like things are getting better because now I don't have crisis anymore. And he's like, oh, that's good. But that's not really good. I'm like, yeah, but it, it, it's different because now I'm able to make, I'm able to think because I'm not in crisis mode. I'm able to think clearly enough that I can make exponentially positive decisions so that I don't have this crisis to begin with. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I will, I, I, I find things like, like earplugs from my daughter is crying. And, um, you know, I, I, I decided to take a job closer to home 
so that I'm not away from my family all the time. So when I come home, I'm not dog tired and frustrated. You know, I, I, I do situations where like I can have a relationship with my kids so that next time they're, uh, you know, frustrating me, I, I, I see them in a more compassionate light, you know, so it, it becomes like a parabola <laughs> of health, you know, so mm-hmm. what, what, once you get past the crisis, you can see things clearly, then you can get down to the meat of things and actually start living more successfully, happily, and uh, uh, productively. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, I'd like to move on to um, uh, another part of the video and another part of our conversation from last night. Uh, you guys will hear me say this a bunch because we did have a really good conversation last night, so some of this is being rehashed, but I think it's important, and that's why I'm recording this. Um, so one of the things we talked about was this idea of uh, of an equation because um, you talked about, you know, you have to think about uh, so you, you, talking specifically about um, about Bourdain, about Tony Bourdain, uh, you mentioned that even even though you are not making a uh, moral distinction or a moral justification um, about why he he did what he did, you have to recognize the impacts of what he's done. That by committing suicide, he is leaving um, a hole in his family's life um, and impacting those around him. And um, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, if that's something that needs to be unpacked. I don't know if that's self-explanatory enough to people, but, you know, that we're not, this, this is not a, a statement of us saying, you know, because especially for those of us that are religious, I think it's very easy to see, like, we obviously condemn um, suicide as a moral evil, but at the same time, people are so uh, reduced copably when they're in a state that would cause themselves to consider such a thing. Um, it's hard to have any kind of real moral judgment about it, but at the same time, you have to acknowledge that for that person, it's obviously a moral uh, a moral wrong and also has a um, a pragmatic consequential effect on those around them. So do you think that needs to be impacted at all, or do you think that's explanatory enough to um, yeah, I mean, a I, general I, audience? I think that pretty much... I think I've heard it explains it. Um, there, I mean, I've I've worked with enough people with mental health issues um, to not really view human behavior in in that sort of regard as good or bad, but uh, functional or non-functional is sort of or or adaptive or maladaptive, depending on how technical right. you want to get with your terminology. Right. Right. Um, right. And you know, like like I, I don't I don't judge a, a person who's in a desperate place for doing a desperate thing, but I do think that sometimes we can consciously will the repercussions away from our actions um, and I think that is kind of what I was talking about was just the, the the ability for us to ignore and be selfish to a degree you know um, I, I don't necessarily think he was being he, I don't think he was using a selfish act but I think that there was selfishness in what he did um, and for me, like engaging that cognitive sense of saying, well, how are my daughters going to have a life without a dad, you know, and engaging that um, is sometimes a saving grace for me, but that doesn't obviously work for everybody. Right. And so moving from that, um, one of the things that I mentioned last night that I didn't I didn't do this on purpose and I hope you didn't feel this way, but I was in many ways appreciated when I contacted you last night, I was in many ways really appreciating your video and this at the same time um, thinking of these of these counter statements, not even counter arguments, but just uh, ways that I see maybe things a little bit differently or maybe just um, ways that might 
be looked at a little bit differently. So one of the other things that I said was that, you know, as we, as someone who has depression, um, as depression worsens, we tend to isolate. And once you isolate, there becomes less and less people that would be hurt significantly by something terrible like suicide. And then if, if the group becomes small enough, um, and your mental capacity, and you, you kind of said you can trick yourself into um, doing a bunch of mental gymnastics to, to thinking that, you know, maybe the people that are left behind um, loss won't be as significant, especially if there's fewer of them and you've already been distanced from them. And so it becomes like a, a balancing scale, a calculation of, you know, my singular unbearable ongoing pain versus the significant but possibly bearable pain of those that love me. Um, and especially if, you know, if you feel like the way that you're living, you know, even if you don't commit suicide, but even just the way that you live currently is causing pain to people, it becomes even more compounded. Like it's the delta of the pain that they feel now that I'm alive versus the pain that they will feel once I'm gone. Um, so I didn't know if, if you wanted to, I, and I don't quite remember how you addressed that last night. So I don't know if you wanted to, to look at that a little bit. I think you kind of pointed out some faulty errors in my thinking when I, when I mentioned that last night. Yeah, and this, this is one thing that I am extremely, extremely grateful for is being uh, uh, trained enough in logic to be able to think through things. Um, because when I get into my crazy moments, uh, my logic brain is still there. Um, and I can still think, God, I'm being crazy right now. Um, you know, and uh, I, I understand for people who don't, like, I, I, I've grown up in a very well educated household where, like, books and discussion and debate were everywhere. So um, I, I can appreciate how a person might not have the same sort of self-scrutiny um, would have a hard time with that. Um, but I guess, like, to answer your question, uh, there is a... Uh, I believe last night I said that your, your, your whole principle, your whole premise was kind of wrong to begin with because isolation in and of itself is unhealthy. Um and you know, we, we are, I mean, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, if you look at, at anything that Erickson has ever written, there is social in our, in our nature. We are, by our nature, social beings. And um, you know, the idea that isolation can somehow be healthier is just not, it doesn't make sense. Um, well, it, so you know, I guess my, if, if I could interject a little bit. So I so, guess it's not, it's not the idea that isolation is healthy. It's more just explaining, like, that's the... That's the parameters by which we're dealing with. Kind of like how you would say that, um, for example, it's not good for a country to not have allies and to be very small and not have an army, and all of a sudden now they're dealing with a foreign invasion. It would be better if they had, you know, lots of allies and a large military, you know, you know right. things that would combat right. those things. But if they're at the place where that is the situation, where for one reason or another, probably due to their depression, they've isolated significantly, that's kind of the place that they are in to, at the moment. And I think that's very much where you were trying to talk to people was people that were in that moment as opposed to um, thinking about how we could not come to this place. So just to, just to yeah, clarify so, a little bit. Yeah, so, so I mean, I guess like as, as a sub-point, Maintenance is a lot better than the crisis management. Um, right. You know, taking a bear right. every day is so much easier than having a heart attack every six months. Um, right. So, you know, doing things to avoid crisis moments, uh, that, that macro exponential thing that I was talking about, that's what counseling does. Um, so, 
you know, but also at the same time, we are always social. I mean, I, I think even when we isolate, we're still social beings. You know, we still have a job. We still have a person right. who sits across from us at, 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 at the lunch table. We still have parents who, you know, want to talk to us. We still have cousins. We still have, um, like, I, I, I had a classroom full of kids, you know. And, um, yeah, it, it doesn't matter how isolated we think we are. We are always going to affect people if we make that right. decision. And um, it's a, uh, you know, think for me, uh, thinking about that, like, like, again, having my kids uh, is a huge part of that. Just saying, tonight really is hard. Tonight's a really, really hard night, but I need to get through this, sleep on it, wake up in the morning, and just try again because my, my two daughters need a dad. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. The, um, the last point is kind of ties into what we've been talking about just now, the idea of um, crisis you know, crisis prevention versus long-term maintenance. And what I had expressed to you is that it seems that people, because uh, I've, I've seen this once again, just as just as there is a, um, a media um, kind of like frenzy around this topic right now, you've also seen kind of a frenzy on social media, at least I have amongst my friends, being like, hey, I'm, I am here if anybody needs to talk. Like, if, if things are going bad, please contact me. Um, you know, and, and just a lot of, and that's very noble. I'm not in any way trying to belittle that, um, those efforts, because I think that is, that's noble and generous and empathetic. But what I was iterating, um, what I was expressing to you is that, you know, it's not so much about the moments of crisis. Obviously, those are the, those are the scariest moments, because they have the largest potential to lead to actual harming action. But for most people, you know, I'll, I'll just speak from, like, kind of general experience, like, you know, you have to live the rest of your life. You have to, like, you know, not be in a moment of crisis but still be in a very difficult place. And you can't, you know, those people cannot be, you know, constantly attached to you. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, and it's, and it's those, it's that inability to handle life on a general ongoing basis that leads to the moments of crisis. Because you can kind of, like, tell yourself for a while that, you know, things are okay, we're going to keep going, it's not so bad, or if it is bad, we just still have to kind of suck it up and, and make it through, but then that kind of builds up and, and comes to a point when then crisis occurs. So, you know, and once again, because I, I feel like your video was very much reaching out to people that were in that moment of crisis, and I'm not trying to in any way belittle the sentiment, but I wanted to at least address the idea that for many people, this is not about an individual crisis, this is about a an ongoing um, issue of really not knowing how to, uh, you know, uh, to use the terminology, not to not have proper adaptive behavior, to not really give proper context to the things that they're experiencing and have a plan to actually move forward and, um, you know, to come uh, to, to come to a more stable place in their life. So, yeah, there. You, you just said a lot, so let, let me let me. I know, and I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh, no, let me let, let me try to break it down a little bit. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, take, so, take any so, part of that, and and feel free to ignore anything that didn't make sense, or yeah. Or, no, anyways, do do what you want to do. It, it made sense, but you just read like the last chapter of The Great Gatsby, and it's like, so what do you think? You know, like, like oh, well, a lot just happened. Um, so yeah. um, I love The Great Gatsby. Um, so, uh, I would say, 
that sometimes crisis can lead us to understanding that we don't necessarily expect. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, let me again say that I've been in mental health treatment since I was 10. I didn't know yeah. that I had bipolar until I was 23, and I checked myself into an ER. Um, mm-hmm. That crisis got the ball rolling for actual you know, treatment and actual good medicine and, you know, uh, addressing me as sort of uh, what I actually was instead of what I thought I was. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think crisis is always bad as long as we don't have the same crisis every damn week and we're not moving forward to avoid it, uh, you know, uh, in the future. Um, we all knew that person in high school who would have a problem every single day. And, yeah. you know, at some point in time, or, you know, a relationship, a bad relationship every single week. And at some point in time, you got to say, well, you're making bad decisions and you're not getting better. Um, right. and, and there might be a reason for that, but you're still doing it. So, you know, for me, the idea of having a crisis where you think you're going to hurt yourself and then not talking to a psychiatrist afterwards is insanity. That's crazy. You know, and, and to have a support mm-hmm. system who doesn't say, get your ass to a psychiatrist and talk to somebody is insanity as well. Um, because if that, that, that happens one time, like a serious concern, it's going to happen again, I guarantee you. And, can I, can, um, I, can I respond a little bit to that? Sure. Um, of course. Um, I don't, uh, I, it doesn't matter if I if I want to if I want to cut this out. I will. Um, I don't think that it's from my experience. It's not so much that those options have not been explored. It's that those options have not been fruitful. Um, I've seen sure. plenty of therapists in my life. I've seen psychiatrists, and um, so and so. It's not so much that options have not been pursued it's just those options have not seemed to be successful but i so i wonder are you saying that the insanity is to not continue to seek out those options even like kind of yes you know there's almost like to me a, a sense of um like cruel comedic futility in going back sure. to something that's failed you before but maybe it's sure. not failure it's maybe just like maybe not as successful as you would as you had hoped it would be maybe that's the the better way of looking at it um so is that is that kind yeah, of so, what you're saying yeah so 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 think about like riding a bike right uh you're gonna fall off a lot of times before you get it right um you're gonna get hurt mm. every time you fall off the bike and it's gonna you're gonna scrape your knee you're gonna crack your head on the sidewalk and it's gonna hurt but eventually you're gonna right. ride it and then you're gonna know how to do it um, I told you last night that I was in med trials last summer, right? Do you, do you know right. that? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, what, four months? And I tried 14, 13, 14 different meds, right? Do you think that was an easy time? Absolutely not. Did I want to give up and, you know, go to a closet and curl up in a ball and just cry and cry? I, did, I probably did. A few, yes, absolutely. Did it almost wreck my marriage? Absolutely. Staying mm-hmm. the course is the hardest part of treatment. Not giving up right. on treatment is the absolute hardest part of treatment because it does take time. I was going to say that that, that actually is the balance. treatment. That actually is the treatment part, right? Because someone can give you a one-time thing, but the actual treatment, the thing that cures you or the thing that helps you since we're not talking about cures, the thing that helps you is the actual ongoing process. That's the, that is the actual moving you know, force in this entire discussion is the staying at it. Right. So, so I, I took a med when I, when I got out of the – hospital for the first time for like like 
six years, seven years, and I just stopped working one day. And so, you know, like, like, like I said in the video, mental illness never goes away. You, I'm going to see a psychiatrist until the day I die. I have to because it changes and, and, and it's fluid and my body changes and my brain changes and, you know, medicine, I build a tolerance and, you know, and, and my situation in life changes and, you know, I, I, I have two kids. Do you think it's a lot more stressful than not having two kids? Absolutely. You know, so there, there's, there's a lot of dynamics that go into it. And, and I've told people before, if you look at a pill, like, like any little um, tablet of medicine, that's like 95% cornstarch, you know? So you have to think about the actual amount of medicine that you're putting in your body is 5% of a pill. And that is how delicate of a balance everything is in, right? That 5% of a pill is changing your entire worldview. And it's changing your entire reality to the point that you can be a more functional human being. That is an incredibly delicate balance. And um, it has to be dynamic. It has to change. It has to be organic. And if you don't stay with it, you're going to lose yourself because what's going to happen is your ability to think through things is going to go away if you don't do it. And then all of a sudden you're going to be convincing yourself of some crazy crap that's not real. And you're going to be, you know, wanting to think things and you're not going to have any way of getting out of it and out of your brain. And so, you know, when I say stick with treatment, I really mean it. <laughs> like it, it, it is, it is, um, you, you have to have somebody watch you because if we do this by ourselves, we are all going to die. <laughs> um, and you know, yeah. Uh, depression and, and especially bipolar, what I have uh, kill people. Um, the, right. the, the suicide attempt rate for people with bipolar is somewhere around one in five. And the suicide mm -hmm. success rate is somewhere between two and three and five. So my people yeah. do not survive. We don't survive. Right. And the reason is because people don't stick with treatment. They don't take their meds. Um, and they, <laughs> you know, they, they do things that they shouldn't. Um, right. And I guess that, that is the scary thing for me. A lot of what I do is completely out of fear and mistrust of myself. Um, you, you know me. You know that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cocky, and you know that I, I think pretty highly of myself. I don't at all. It is all a facade. Um, I, I, am, I, am, I, I don't trust myself in the slightest. Uh, I'm scared to death of my brain, and I, I, um, I look at everything that I say and everything that I do with extreme scrutiny so that I can stay on track and so that I can survive. Because if I don't do it, I'm going to go off the rails. Do you do the same thing that I do? That there is like one part of your personality that's like semi-normal or maybe above average and you kind of like hyper-focus on that thing? Like for me, it's intelligence. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm not, yeah, I yeah. am not that intelligent, but I think that I am like the greatest philosopher. Like just, I, I understand things <laughs> more than everybody does and it's completely like a you know um it's a defense mechanism that like yeah you're kind of a mess but you have this one thing that's like it's kind of okay like so i don't know if that's your experience i think or... i think it's i think we're both pretty smart i mean I, I you and i can both have a decent discussion um even though we're probably going to be on polar opposite ends of any discussion that we have uh it's true but, um except, except know, for it, this one apparently except for this really one apparently, yeah yeah, um, but you know the the um, yeah. I mean, you know, finding the things that you're good at and making sure that you know how to exploit them to get people to like you is a is a re is a really good thing. <laughs> um, so so for yeah. me, I, I think intelligence is one of them. Um, people skills is definitely one of them. Um, I'm good at talking to people. Um, yeah, it, yeah. I wish like, I, I, I wish I had that one, man. <laughs> oh, it's, it sucks sometimes. To be honest with you. Um, I, it's kind of like when you, when you go to a wedding and you get really, really trashed 
uh, and you think you can dance. <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's kind of what it's like for me. You know, like, I, I can't dance. I know that I can't dance, but I feel like I, yeah. feel like I can. So I would like to take this to I think to one last place, if you don't mind, uh, time sure. time allowing, that we didn't go last night, and that is that. Um, maybe this will be a place that we disagree on, but I really would like to hear your your thoughts on it. Um, do you think that? For yourself and maybe your experience with people that struggle with uh, depression and suicide in general, do you think that a sense of meaning is in any way related to um, a, a lack of meaning related to why people experience um, su- like thoughts of suicide and and experience thoughts of dep- you know depression and is meaning maybe some kind of uh, a, a galvanization of meaning, um, maybe some kind of cure to some of those feelings. You talked about a little bit last night, and you've talked about, you know, during this conversation, just how impactful your kids have been and how, um, you know, adding that responsibility to somebody else has really, you know, put your life and your experience in focus that, you know, it doesn't, as you said, like, it doesn't matter how I feel. My my little girl needs to eat and I need to go, you know, get some food for her. That's a, that to me, that's a sense of meaning that maybe is missing in a lot of people's lives. Um, maybe you wouldn't use that same terminology, but I would be interested to see, um, to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I would use the word meaning, uh, like you said, um, but I think, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. So, so, so back in uh, back in the day, a couple hundred years ago, uh, there's a sociologist named Emil Durkheim. You ever heard of Durkheim? Uh, I don't think so. No. So he studied suicide in England. Uh, England, England. I think England. I'm I'm going back to like sociology 101 here. So if if it's me. not, we can edit it out. Don't worry about it. it Thank you. Happen. Appreciate it. So so <laughs> Durkheim studied suicide, and the current thought was that people who are poor, with big families who uh, had a lot, you know, a lot of kids, no money, dead-end job, uh, you know, hungry, um, can't, can't, make, can't make ends meet, that they killed themselves more than any other part of the population. So he started looking at the population. Mm-hmm. He found out that wealthy single men killed themselves more than anybody else. Yep. And he, 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 he deduced that when you Mid- have people... By the way, mid- middle-aged, middle-aged, middle-aged yeah. men and elderly men yeah. in particular... Yep. Yep. So, so he he deduced that when you you uh, are part of a machine, when you are a cog, when people rely on you and you rely on other people, you have more of a motivation to stay at home or stay not stay at home, stay alive. Um, and I think for me, that's sort of like I wouldn't use the word. What was the word, what was the word you used? Meaning. Um, Meaning. Yeah. I, I think for, I think for me, the word community is probably a better word for it. Um, because I know that people need me, um, and I know that I need people. And being humble enough to say my life is not self-focused anymore, um, mm-hmm. how can I kill myself if my life is not of me? Um, mm-hmm. But without community, you can't find that, I believe. Um, so, you know, socialization and... and, and uh, you know, engaging in things that help me stay sane are very healthy. However, mm-hmm. I think putting meaning to the suffering 
is definitely a worthwhile pursuit as well. Um, yeah. And, why and am I doing more, this? Yeah. I was going to say, that's more the context. And, and I think maybe it's just because I personally relate depression just to the experience of suffering so much. But yeah, that, that is more the context of uh, there has to be a reason why the suffering is occurring. Otherwise, the suffering is nihilistic and pointless, and yes. um, you are you are just the subject of the cruelty of the universe. And if and the universe yes. wins that game, all the you know every, you know ten out of ten because it doesn't care whether you succeed or not. Um, and so yeah, that that's I think that is definitely a um, where I was going with that that idea of of sure. offsetting suffering with meaning um, is yeah that that's exactly the the avenue that I was pursuing with that. Yeah. So, so I would say there's a, there's a, I mean, I've read enough jump all the second to, uh, to appreciate that there's a dignity in suffering, um, that there is a, um, a beauty in it to a degree some days, you know, there, there is a, um, you know, suffering for the sake of suffering is like, as you said, nihilistic, but suffering for the sake of something greater than you is beautiful. Um, right my family is more beautiful than my suffering is bad. Does that make sense? Like if, if it's like, yeah. if it's like a teeter totter of good and bad and we put my kids and my family on one side and we put, you know, me having a bad night on the other side, who wins, you know, my kids any day. Um, right. So, you know, like the, 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 the sense of, of purpose and obligation that goes along with that and the ability to have focus and get through the suffering because you know that it's worth it. Do you know mm-hmm. that, you know, it will, it, it, 10 times out of 10, my kids are more important than I am. Right. And 10 times out of 10, my kids are more important than my feelings. And, um, you know, I, as much as I want to be nihilistic <laughs> and think about things sometimes, you know, I actually choose mm-hmm. to ignore it. Um, I choose to shut my brain off and I focus on what is right in front of me. Um, the right. universe is not necessarily right in front of me. Everything uh, in its in its entirety and the, the big macro plan with life, God, the universe, and everything, and 42, and all of that is not in front of me. Uh, my future life is not in front of me. My kids are in front of me. I choose to focus on that mm-hmm. because that is the most real thing that I know. And in all of my crazy, and in all of my days of darkness, and in all of my hospital stays, and everything that I've ever been through, I know for a fact that the realest thing in my life is how much I love my kids. And that yeah. keeps me going um, more than anything else. So maybe purpose, maybe meaning, but you have to define what your meaning is, you know? Right. And I, I think purpose works as well. Um, just in, in the context of suffering, it specifically like gives a qualitative reason for the suffering. Like I suffer because X and that's okay. Like for example, right. I suffer be I suffer because, you know, or maybe not because, but you know, suffering is okay because uh, I'm willing to to bear that to then go help my family or you know something along those lines but uh, I think we're, yeah. we're we're on relatively the same page with that um, yeah I think I think also I, like viewing go ahead no 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 I'm about to go to something else so go ahead uh, I was gonna say viewing um, the human person uh, through a through a healthy light I think is also very very uh very healthy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't believe that I was meant to be anything more than a husband and a father. Um, 
so like you know being a teacher being a uh, you know an amateur musician being a podcaster being um you know whatever those things might be don't matter anywhere being a person with bipolar it doesn't matter as much as my 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 ontological sense i think is always geared towards father and husband right and focusing on what i'm supposed to do what i'm supposed to be and what i was made for in my mind cognitively helps me as well so okay, so let, let's let, and I, I've touched on this a little bit last night. So, if you were not a father and you were not a husband, ontologically, what would be your your purpose, your reason, the thing that keeps you going? I, I have no idea, and I honestly don't want to think about it. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, really, okay. like the, it's it, it's, that, it's one of those questions that, like, yeah, like it. it I, I've been so extremely blessed and lucky to have a family who kind of gets me and a wife who is yeah. wonderful and deals with me in all of my crazy and uh, is always <laughs> compassionate and always, always loving. And someday she wants to put my head through a wall. I know that. But, um, yeah. you know, she also tries really hard to get it. Um, and I wouldn't want to live any other life than the life that I have. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Well, I so sorry. That's, I'm, that's, I was not going to go there. <laughs> no, that's that's on. I, I would rather you be honest than any nonsense answer you could give me. So, um, that that's fine. I appreciate that. Um, I think that's about as that is everything. I think we pretty much talked about last night and a bunch more. So I I appreciate that. Um, of course. I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else that I that I want to talk about or mention other than just to um, to thank you. You you responded very quickly last night, and I, I appreciate that. And you were very willing to come and, and talk about these things that are obviously very intimate and very difficult to talk about. So um, I thank you for that. Um, is there anything else that, that you want to say or address, or do you think that we kind of covered everything? I, th- I think it's about it. Um... Yeah, you know, there's a, you know, the, the you, know, you, you thank me for talking about it, but it's one of those things where, like, I'm a teacher, you know? So, like, talking about um, information and trying to share information is sort of a big thing for me. But I, I know as a culture, we also don't talk about this really in any sort of productive way. You know, there's a lot of that, like, thoughts and prayers craft that people do, but it doesn't really, it's not a productive conversation, you know? Um, mm-hmm. not that thoughts and prayers are bad, but yeah, you know, it's become kind of a trite thing where people don't don't uh, don't do anything positive. And uh, well, isn't isn't that uh, isn't that the Book of James? You know, faith without works is dead. You know, you need to actually exactly. do something. You need to actually yeah, exactly. go out and 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 prayer is doing something. Uh, I I agree, but you can live out a prayer by actually engaging in these kind of difficult conversations. In the end. Yeah, both, right? Like all of the above. <laughs> don't don't avoid exactly. the trenches for the sake of prayer, you know. Um, yeah. But I also know that our society doesn't talk about these things because they're afraid of people like you and me. Um, they don't know how to handle them. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to talk to us. So right. if we don't engage the conversation, it's gonna just gonna get it further and further in the shadows. You know, we have to make a conscious effort uh, in order to bring it up and talk about it so that we can as a society find ways to deal with it that aren't token. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, miles, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the 51 minutes that we have been talking. Um, it's been great. I hope, hope we can do this again.